In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, what happened to the American dream? The act of 1871 fundamentally changed the world. It changed the United States completely. This was the Constitution that was rewritten for the District of Columbia, now became the United States of America and all of the other states that were involved became chattel property or collateral for the loans given to us by the Vatican, by the Europeans, by the British. Right now, we don't have a constitution, but nobody knows it. We're living under this act of 1871, which is basically a corporation of the United States of America rather than the United States of America. This podcast is supported by Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, it's time to bring in the professionals. Call 1-866-724-0800. 1-866-724-0800. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. 
author and media expert Dr. Sal Martingano is standing by to deliver his State of the Union and to discuss the betrayal of the American dream. Before I get to that, I want to let you know that this past weekend, on my birthday in fact, I discovered that the fine people at YouTube have decided to demonetize my channel, Strange Planet. We're not exactly sure why at this point, but I can't help thinking in this new age of McCarthyism that it has something to do with holding the wrong opinions. I have my live stream producer Ryan working on it, but it looks like we'll have to wait 30 days in order to apply for reinstatement. Uh, who knows, maybe it was that interview with Russ Baker on Bush Family Secrets that raised flags over at YouTube. Or it could be that I continue to stand up for conservative values and rail against the radical progressive agenda that has infiltrated every aspect of Western civilization and that I maintain represents an existential threat to our way of life. Uh, YouTube is an important source of income, so I've taken a hit, uh, but I will survive and I'll keep fighting and I'll keep delivering the same content day in and day out. In the meantime, I hope you'll consider visiting patreon.com forward slash strange planet and uh, think about supporting my work. Who knows, maybe they'll come after me on Patreon as well. But while there is life, there is hope. So let's get at it. In the Declaration of Dependence, A Betrayal of the American Dream, author Dr. Sal Martingano condenses more than a decade of research into a guide aimed to remove confusion from politics by making the intentional complex terms and euphemisms used by the U.S. government and political forum easier to understand to the average citizen. Dr. Martingano also provides basic solutions consistent with the Constitution to many hot-button national issues in order to inform and empower readers to decipher facts from fantasy. Words have meaning in our political system, he says, but without a clear understanding of their intent, decision-making is futile. Dr. Martin Gano also notes that understanding past historical events along with current political policies is a prerequisite to preserving our democracy. Dr. Martin Gano is an accomplished writer and authored numerous healthcare articles that have been published in peer-reviewed national journals. Over the years, he's become an expert in media communications and specializes in making the complex easy to understand. Now semi-retired, Dr. Sal Martin Gano has devoted much of his time writing and researching the political implications of our changing governmental environment. His intent is to give the average American without a master's degree in political science a chance to understand the intentional and sometimes misleading euphemistic political jargon, complete with workable solutions for mass implementation. He is now a watchdog against government intrusion into our lives, and he is the author of The Declaration of Dependence, A Betrayal of the American Dream. Sal Martin Gano, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Thank you, Richard. Thank you. I'm having a good time here in Southern Florida. How's going up in Toronto? We're, we're finally experiencing uh, really our first taste of winter. It's uh, about minus 14 Celsius up here today. Oh, uh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you have uh, a fascinating background because, you know, you have this book, uh, Declaration of uh, Dependence, and you talk about global warming, and you talk about, you know, uh, the culture war, and yet your background is in, in, in chiropractic medicine. So how did you sort of pivot, or were you always so, sort of doing both at the same time? Well, to be honest with you, I've always been a, uh, a, a thinker, a researcher, a first-wave baby boomer, 
um, you know, born into a culture where everything was hands-on and you earned what you got and good parental guidance and five people that I grew up with that all became successful, you know, those kind of things, the, the, the good old American way of doing things back then and um, eventually became, um, I started out in engineering, believe it or not, and realized that I wasn't really a numbers guy. I was more of a thinker and a, and a, a right brain for person and slowly moved into teaching and teaching became my profession for about uh, 17, 18 years. I taught in the New York City school system and uh, got a very good understanding of the educational system and history and things and just became more and more involved in, in life as it really is and, uh, you know, as opposed to what was being portrayed and watched the changes that were taking place. Um, but anyway, how I ended up in, in, in chiropractic was a story in itself because and we can talk about it a little bit under your, you're familiar now, I'm sure, with Common Core Education in the oh, United yes. States. Yes. Uh, I do a whole big thing on that. But Common Core was a product, uh, an original product from No Child Left Behind. And it was a migration, so to speak, from, from early education where we were first taught to teach students, you know, how to understand things on their terms. You know, things like tactile learners and visual learners and auditory learners. Everybody learns at a different speed, different pace. Um, and back then, that's what I was taught to do, and we had wonderful success. Well, towards the end of my teaching career, or what became the end of my teaching career, uh, No Child Left Behind came in. We weren't allowed to fail anybody. Um, and tactile learners and all this kind of stuff became, here, here's your program. This is what you teach. This is what you have to do. Say it three times. And, you know, I'm teaching in inner New York City, and I don't know if you know what, where, what that looks like. But a little it wasn't bit, fun. yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't fun back then, and I had these students eating out of the palm of my hand. But my supervisor pretty much told me, he said, either you do it this way or um, you're going to be insubordinate. I told him, I said, really? I said, I'm not being insubordinate. I am insubordinate. I'm not doing it. You know, and anyway, push came to shove, and the next thing you know, I decided it was time to leave. And I ended up pursuing a different part of life, which became more of a uh, healthcare situation, which I was also thinking about, but I actually took the plunge and decided to become a chiropractor because of uh, my influences that took place during my life. So it was a very trans an interesting transition from, you know, a boy from Brooklyn, you know, becoming a teacher and then an engineer, and then finally ended up in, of all things, chiropractic, which I've done for the last 32 years. So, I'd like to pick up on your experiences in education, because I think that kind of yeah. dovetails into what we're, we're talking about here. And that is, um, is there a deliberate dumbing down, do you think? I, I look at the public education system, and I, I homeschool my, my two boys, but I look at public mm -hmm. education, both sides of the border, as triage. And to me, it's like they are essentially training uh, serfs for the new economy, which is basically, you know, stacking boxes for ch of, ch of cheap Chinese imports. That's my s summation of public education. Well, you're, you're pretty much right on target. In fact, back when the three pieces of the main pieces of education that took place with Common Core specifically was, was something that was called, you know, school to work program. This was basically te teaching students how to become dutiful uh, employees so they go right from school into the workforce and, uh, and allowing them to accept their fate, you know, as that's what they're going to be doing for the rest of their life, which, of course, means control for the rest of their life. The second thing was the goals that were created during the Clinton administration, the goal 2000. Uh, and this was a direct, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Adius Hux Huxley's work, 
um, back in 1932, you wrote a book called Brave New World. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that was, that was you, know, you know, it's funny. I say that and, and people hear that. Oh, yeah, Brave New World. And I asked them point blank, did you read the book? Uh, no, no. Um, but what does it do? Well, it, it's, uh, you know, they have no clue. But the work of Huxley has become accepted into the educational system. And what that basically meant was it created a situation where um, where you're adopting uh, no hunger and everything was supposed to be utopian society. That's what it was amounting to. And it sold that to the American public. Uh, you know, no, no, no hunger, no unknowns, no strife. Everything would be just hunky-dory. And if you follow my program, which became the government's jumped in on that and became the goals 2000 under the Clinton program, which is basically the brave new world in writing. Uh, nobody knows that, but that's, that's what that amounted to. And then the third uh, part was, uh, was improving uh, school education in general. And that's a whole nother story. Their, their idea of improving school was to change it. it like I was talking about before, changing it from, uh, learning from a student's point of view to indoctrinating, you know, as they want it to be. Uh, and it's a clever way of getting around the First Amendment of our Constitution because how do you get free speech when there is no free speech? You're, you're, you're being taught to follow this or you fail. Right, right. So that's, uh, so that's kind of figured out. Well, the, the disturbing thing is um, when, we, when we look at the... the I remember seeing a test that was reprinted. It was, I think, from the, the, the a school board down in Kansas, and it was a grade eight exam. Uh, this is from the late nineteenth century, and mm-hmm. when you looked at those test questions, they were really uh, uh, university level uh, by t- today's standards. The things yeah. that they were learning in nineteenth century Middle America. Uh, grade eight students had to understand about, you know, soil uh, soil types and and the various strata, uh, you know, of, of rock formations, and they had to know uh, chemistry and they had to know uh, Latin. Uh, I mean, when you compare that to what they're they're learning in grade eight today, which is essentially it's 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 uh, it's it's daycare uh, for twelve and thirteen year olds. It's it's mm-hmm. the, the contrast is absolutely startling. Is it deliberate? Is there a deliberate dumbing down? Absolutely, there is no question about it. The deliberate dumbing down is the only way the the colleges were able to infiltrate through. You know, this whole story we can get into the to the to the conspiracy part of it, but you know the the ideas of the elites and the corporates. Uh, corporate elite of the world getting into the educational system. Because remember, um, in the beginning, primary education, like you're describing, it took place right up until the 50s and early 60s. That's exactly how I was taught. I was taught all these these amazing things which broadened my scope of, of, of practice. But according to the to the to the corporate elites, uh, once our parents, have, you know, wanted us to get a better life and experience college and travel the world. Well, that was a that was a gate opener for for the progressives to step in, take over our college system, and allow them to indoctrinate us more than teach us. And City College of New York was a, a huge, huge facility. That's where I was, you know, studying uh, um, engineering and, and and things of that sort. But on a daily basis, we were being dosed, you know, with 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 liberal ideas. In fact, the course that I ended up graduating from, because I got out of engineering, I wasn't, I ended up doing something called a liberal arts program. It was a liberal arts degree. 
And we were told that liberal arts means, oh, it's a general education, you learn all kinds of stuff. But liberal arts is what we now have called totalitarian government. We were learning how to be good socialists at that time, and they called it under the liberal mindset. So the liberal arts degree, I don't even know if it exists anymore. That's what I have on my wall, believe it or not, and I'm not happy about it, but that's what it is. <laughs> but it was, you know, we didn't know. But that's the whole point. It's slow indoctrination. You can't take over a country just by stepping in. The, the, the communists do that. They, they do that at the point of a gun. You do it this way or your family is dead. Socialists do that by taking away everything you have. It's owned by the government. You'll die if you don't do what we tell you. America is supposed to be freedom of choice. Well, that had to go. Right. Now, you, you contrast uh, what was happening on college campuses. You mentioned university colleges. Uh, back in the 60s and 70s, when students were uh, protesting at the drop of a hat, but they were protesting because they wanted more free speech. They wanted more personal liberty. Uh, they wanted more freedom. And now today we have students protesting on college campuses because they don't want conservatives setting foot on campus. It seems like they they really hate the First Amendment. Well, they... They don't know. See, uh, the, the premise of the book, the Declaration of Dependence, it's called The Betrayal of the American Dream, but the premise of that book is that words have meaning. And this is where, uh, this is what, I, I'm, I'm not writing a history book. The Declaration of Dependence is a way of taking all of the information that has been, like Pablum, been giving to us, uh, and the basis of the book is, is, is to talk about how society has changed by simply changing the meanings of the words that we normally use. Things are not the same as they were. And if we don't understand what those changes are, we're just going to follow the bouncing ball wherever they want it to follow us. So I took that premise. And, you know, when, you, when they talk about common core, you ask somebody, do you like common core education? Oh, absolutely. It's common. It's, 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 you know, it's what? They don't know what, they have no idea that has changed from no child left behind, you know, to common core, which basically means take the family out of education completely and leave it up to the government. Nobody understands that. So all of the topics that I covered in the Declaration of Dependence, every single one of them was based on the understanding that words and concepts are, are the basis for understanding education. If you don't know what you're talking about, just don't accept it, do the research. But that's exactly what they don't want us to do. No research. Just follow the bouncing ball, become a good subservient, you know, to the government. And your First Amendment, you can say you have a First Amendment, but try to implement it. You can't do it. Right. Uh, and, and the teaching of history, I don't know to what extent American history is being taught uh, or even civics, uh, even perhaps more importantly, civics. Uh, you hear time and time again, uh, people in the United States, young people, describing the United States as a democracy. Even the president, I, I, I remember former President Barack Obama talking about democracy, democracy. The United States is not a democracy. I mean, there's an example of, right. But, and, yeah. and people say, well, what's the difference and why does it matter? Well, why does it matter? Well, there you go. That's why words have meaning. This is exactly what I'm talking about. We are the democracy and democracy means majority rule. No, it doesn't. That's the whole reason we try to get away from it. A democracy, a pure democracy is majority rule. So all you need is a guy that, you know, like, like, a, uh, like an Obama, who came in with no background, no, no nothing other than a mysterious cultish type attitude towards 
you know, towards uh, an elitism and, and change his whole thing was it fundamentally change America. That's what he told us. That's what we need to do. Fundamentally change America. But nobody asked to what? What, what are we changing it to? See, nobody asked those questions. Right. You don't so, fundamentally change things that you love. Well, what he was doing was changing us to a totalitarian government. Yes. And, and again, nobody asked that question. You, you ask them what totalitarian means, and they don't know what that is either. So in answer to your question directly, um, you know, in terms of, of, uh, of, of, of words that have, you know, meaning dumbing down the American society was to take those words and just make them part of our language without explaining what they mean. And you just simply follow them. So this was a deliberate act. And all you end up with is sheeple. Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm living here in Canada, and we have a parliamentary system, which I'm not exactly enamored of. I, I prefer representative, uh, I rep- a, a, a limited a constitutional republic. I don't like uh, majority rule. To me, that's a recipe for a lynch party. Uh, it is. And, and that's, that's one step away from, from tyranny. I, I, don't, I don't like... Of this system, but this is the one that we have, uh, that we inherited from from Great Britain. Um, but where, in defending or in in um, Declaration of Dependence, where do you where do you think it all started to go wrong? Where did America lose its vision of the founding fathers? Well, it didn't take long because in in, in and then here's something else that people don't know: um, we don't actually have. And I, I'm I'm going to say this with with all due respect, and for those who who may look at this as being you know really radical, uh, understand that our Constitution, which was born in 1776 uh, throughout, worked out in, into the minds of the, of the people like you said way back then that were studying earth science and things of those sorts and God, country, and all of those things that go against what's what all totalitarian and communist countries uh, fight against. They don't want God to be involved in this thing. They want to be the God. So this went on for, you know, a, a period of time. But during our Civil War, during 1864, which basically destroyed this country's economics, I mean, they were, the country was so broke at the time that Lincoln had to do something. And I'll kind of paraphrase as we go along. Uh, the countries that we fought against, like Great Britain and France and all of those things to to define our independence, now are coming to the aid of us to try to rebuild the United States because of its potential. But in order to do that, they wanted collateral. What are you going to give us in return? And the act of 1871 changed, fundamentally changed um, the world. It changed the United States completely. Uh, this was the Constitution that was rewritten for the District of Columbia. Now became became the United States of America, and all of the other states that were involved became chattel property or collateral for the loans given to us by the Vatican, uh, by the Europeans, by the by the by the British. And again, I don't want to get into the huge detail, but right now we don't have a constitution, but nobody knows it. We're living under this act of 17 uh, of 1871, which is basically a corporation of the United States of America rather than the United States of America. And to be real short about it, if you look on our constitution, look on a dollar bill, look on anything that we have, you'll see the United States of America written in all caps. The original United States constitution was upper and lower case. So, all of these little tiny things that nobody even thinks about, nobody knows about, has been taking place, you know, 
from the beginning of time. And of course, 1913, if you have to be very specific, uh, became the turning point under under Wilson when the uh, when the liberal mindset literally came right out, came out of the closet, so to speak, and said, this is what we're going to be doing. So again, there's a lot of history that I cover in the book um, about these things. I cover them in, in, in ways not to become conspiratorial, but yet it is. But just understand, do the research. Do a Google search, for Christ's sake. It's all there. Right, Every right. bit of it is there. You're talking uh, about you the, just don't in, know what to look for. You mentioned 1913, so you're talking about the, the Federal Reserve. That's uh, uh, right. Do, do you think that, that um, I mean, President Trump came into office as sort of the great disruptor, and uh, he's a, a bull in a china shop, to be sure. Do you think that he is cognizant of these things? Is he familiar with... Uh, the uh, the the, um, the District of Columbia uh, Act of 1871 is he is is he um, considering, for example, um, um, dismantling the Federal Reserve? To, to be sure, you know he's he's only a couple of weeks older than I am. So I mean, we're about the same age. Company he came from Queens, I go from Brooklyn. I'm sure that a man that's of his stature that has so much background and wealth and things that he's done over the years. The one thing that most American presidents do not have, that is business experience. There's only seven presidents out of the whole 44, 45, whatever we have here, that has had any kind of experience, including owning a candy store. None, zero. And just the same thing with military background. They don't have any of that either. These are puppets. These are people who are basically got there through political, you know, whatever reasons, like Obama, Nobody knows who the heck this man is. He has served nothing, but yet became president of the United States, and he became the great savior of our, of our country. Trump knows. Reagan knew. Reagan was the same thing. He knew exactly what he was doing and slowly but surely pushed America away from the, uh, the liberal mindset. And that was a fluke. Reagan was absolutely a fluke. Here comes Trump. Why did Trump win? Because he resonated with us, the boomers. There are 65 million of us in this country who understand what he understands, but he has one thing that we don't have. He has the, he has the benefit of timing. He has the benefit of understanding and patience. He doesn't have any political background. He doesn't care about what Pelosi says. And yeah, he does that for show, but for the most part, he's very dogmatic about what he does. And that bull in the China shop is just his, 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 his way of expressing himself. He, he brought Twitter to the map. How are you going to run a government off Twitter? Well, how are you going to get the, your word out if the, the media will not cover it? Precisely. How do you get the word out? Precisely. You know, so yeah. how do you do that? So he's smart enough to know, just give it enough time. He's got about 23 different things that he promised he would do that have been done, including this trade war with China. All of this stuff's going to come out the next time around. It's okay. I'm a bull in the China shop. I'm this, I'm that. He says, but do you have a better life now than you had before? And here are the things that have been accomplished. What have you done? See, that's, that, that's the ace in the hole that's coming up later. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show, why not consider becoming a supporter? Go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. That's right. We've changed the name of our Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet 
and check out our three support tiers. The Truth Seeker tier, the Whistleblower tier, and the Star Chamber tier. Donors can receive access to an exclusive monthly Google Hangout on air or a monthly live chat with me. You can also be eligible for a monthly draw and a chance to win Conspiracy Show and Conspiracy Unlimited merch. Patreon.com forward slash Strange Planet. Patreon.com forward slash Strange Planet. Your support is greatly appreciated. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Dr. Sal Martingano, author of The Declaration of Dependence, is here. Well, let's talk about trade policy and China. Uh, because I certainly believe, and, and you probably do, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but we are now in a new Cold War. And it's not really about Russia anymore. They have a GDP that's equivalent to the size of Texas. I mean, they have a, yep. you know, they have a formidable nuclear uh, arsenal, obviously. But yeah. I think China is is the real adversary because they've stated publicly they want to supersede the United States and they're on track to be the number one economy by, I think, 2030. So the fact that Trump is standing up to China now, uh, I think is is so significant. I mean, there's going to be some short-term pain, though, isn't there? There is. And, and again, if you're looking at it from the same point, I mean, look, we took care of business back in Brooklyn when I was a boomer. We, we had bullies, same thing, you know, the same kind of thing. Everybody, we took care of bullies in our own way. Uh, they, they, they got beaten down because of, of, of overwhelming odds. Uh, if, if, if you were not good at what you were doing, like say, you, you know, you're, you're going onto a, a baseball field or something like that, and you just weren't good at what you were doing, you didn't get passed along. You sat on the sidelines. Why? Because you sucked. Get better at it. You know, that kind of thing. So how Trump is looking at this with China, China has one third of the world's population. He knows damn well in order to feed these people, they've got to do something. They just have numbers. They can take what we have, televisions, cars, whatever it is, get the products from anybody who's willing to sell it to them, water it down, make it for about a, a tenth of what it costs to make here in any other country, and then sell it back to us at a profit. That's pretty damn good. Why? Because they have, they have the, the population to do it. They have the cheap labor. And they've got a government that says, this is what you will do, period. So what happens to American economy? Look at Walmart. When Walmart first started, do you remember what the, what the words were that Walmart used when they first came into, when they first showed up on the scene in the late 60s? I don't, know. Made in America. Ah, good old Sam Walton, yes. That, that's what it was, made in America. Well, that disappeared very quickly when Sam realized that uh, he can buy a lot of this stuff in China a whole lot cheaper, and right now 78% of all products in Walmart that are sold are made in China. So, you know, that's, that's, that's monetary. I mean, that becomes great. Is it, is it good for the people? Sure. Absolutely. Well, I can buy this stuff, but, you know, at a third of the price at Walmart than I can from, you know, from uh, wherever else some of the legitimate stores. But people don't see past their nose. Yeah, it's cheaper to buy that kind of stuff, but why do you want $15 an hour to work at McDonald's? How are you going to do that if you can't make an income to support it so that McDonald's can pay $15. I mean, if you're going to pay that, you got to up something. you got to give up something. You can't just push a button on a machine and expect to make all that kind of money. That's where the liberals come in. 
They overpromise and underdeliver, and they've been doing that for years. And this is what China is capitalizing on. China is saying that, look, we own your debt, and we have to do this, and we, we you, you know, th- this is what we demand. Well, Trump is turning around and saying, excuse me, yeah, you may own our debt, but you ever try to collect it? How are you going to collect it if you're going to sell us stuff that's inferior at prices that we can't that we can't you know not afford and our economy goes to hell? How are you going to get paid? So he's basically telling China to go take a walk. You want your money? Wait for it. Let's see what happens. I got other trading partners like Canada, you know, and other parts of the country that I can trade with. We have we have tariffs in Canada also, and in Mexico we can up them and down them. So in answer to your question, it's a long way around it, but will they be paying? Yes. Yes, people are going to lose their jobs. All of that stuff is going to take place. But in the bigger picture, if you want correction, if you want correction, you have to do the same principles that our founding fathers wrote about in the first place. You have to do what's right, not expedient. Wasn't the United States in part built on tariffs? Of course it was. Of course it was. That was the whole point. Not the whole point, but the tariffs are, are tools. They're not, they're not, uh, economic bad things to do. They are tools to equalize trade. That's basically what amounts for. Not all presidents. Every president that I can think of from even before Reagan, you know, was talking about trade balance and, and the, 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 the trade deficit with foreign countries and all this. Kind. Everyone said they're going to must do something about it. And what was done? Zero. Why? Because the economy, stupid, if you remember what Clinton used to say, uh, the economy was based on being able to have cheap money, to have products that the Americans can buy. So on one hand, they were saying, we've got, to, we've got to rein in this China thing like that. And the other hand, they're saying, please keep your prices low so I can afford it. You know, they were talking out of their mouth, so nothing got done. So in terms of a country, we ended up with a $13 you know, trillion dollar deficit. And right now, with our deficit with China, uh, just, just in products alone, is close to a half a trillion dollars just in, just in the trade war. So, you know, that's a big chunk of money. And China is not stupid either. They follow the same rules that we did during the recession of 2008, which was a global recession. If you remember that. Yes. Guess what China did? Instead of reining things back and doing things smart, they did exactly what Obama did. They did this quantitative easing thing in China, which they opened up loans and spread out loans all over the world, did infrastructure projects that had no value to anybody other than keeping people busy. And they found themselves, you know, spending uh, over $28 trillion in new debt and increased their, their GDP. They spent 300% more than their GDP brought in. So in other words, they just dug themselves a bigger hole following exactly what we did in the United States with quantitative easing. Well, the United States certainly holds uh, some cards here in this in this trade war. Uh, yeah. China's economy now is slowing down. China also has a huge demographic issue. They're, after decades and decades of this one-child policy, they have several generations of, uh, of men outnumbering women. So you have yeah. men who can't find wives. These men... Uh, and we know what happens. I mean, this is just a fact. When men don't marry, crime, crime rates go up, uh, drug and alcohol abuse, all of these things are happening in China. Um, they've, got, they've got some serious problems of facing them over there. But can America go toe-to-toe with China and win this trade war? Will China back down? It depends on who blinks. And, you know, because we're going through the same thing. I mean, our birth rate is the lowest it's ever been, ever been. 
So, you know, from the baby boomer years, you know, where there were 63 million of us, there's less than one child per family right now, and the marriages have gone down significantly. So guess what we have? We have a, we have a void that's going to take place very shortly in the workforce where we can't even supply our own workforce. Same thing as China's doing. That low birth rate is doing the same thing. So you're going to end up working for less, getting less paid for what you're doing. Now, can we go toe-to-toe with China? Probably not. I mean, they, they don't have a choice. Here, here, we have a voting system in China. You vote for this person or you don't vote. That's your system. I mean, we still have this two-party system, which has become more of a hindrance than anything else because of the, you know, the political powers that, that, that follow behind it, the baggage, so to speak. But Trump doesn't care about this. I'm, 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 I'm telling you, he, the baggage means it's just an annoyance at this point in time. But going toe-to-toe with China, no, it's going to be, it's going to be an attrition thing. China's going to realize that, you know, taking products that they, that they bring in to make steel, you know, and then demoting it down to a third to a fourth of what it's supposed to be and then selling it back to the United States as, as our steel, it ain't going to work. I mean, sooner or later, that's going to come out. So that's what they're doing. They're selling inferior products. Uh, if people understand that, they'll make a change. If they don't understand it, they'll work in McDonald's. That's all. Uh, but in the meantime, certain industries in the U.S., uh, are going to have to take a hit because they are dependent on the Chinese market. For example, soy soybean yep. farmers in the U.S. are suffering right now. How long will are they going to be willing to endure the pain, uh, you know, for for long term gain before they say enough is enough? Well, you know, it's just like just like what's going on with the, with the, the limited shutdown. How long can the, the United States last with a, a limited shutdown of an American government? Well, until the pain gets high enough, but you know, uh, and, and I know I'm segueing from your question. I'll get back to it in a second. But you, 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 you got to get it that um, as far as as far as the losses are concerned with the American government, the government's running just fine. They're going to get paid for all their stuff. Everything's going to be worthwhile, you know, in the long run. But you lose your leverage. You lose your leverage when you give in, you kowtow to the things that, that have to be done. For instance, this the immigration policy, the wall, and all of the things that every president has been talking about. It's all in, in videos and all this kind of stuff. You know, we're all going to do it. Nobody does crap. All right? So here's the president saying, well, what happened in the past? Well, I'll tell you what. If you open up the government and you give us this, we will make sure that we will have good border security and all that. <laughs> Never happens. happens. Never happens. Nothing. So Trump being a good boy from Brooklyn or good boy from Queens, so to speak, says, eh, we ain't going to follow that nonsense. I says, you put your cards on the table with me, you know, and let's see what you got first. He says, I'm, I'm the sheriff here. You know, this government is shut down. A part of it is going to be shut down until you decide to do what you said you would do in 2006, 2013, and all of those other times. All I'm going to put you right on the spot. Let's see what you have, guy. Let's see what you can do. I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, but... You, you think he's a rebel? If that was his real self, that's what he would be doing. But he's being tempered, you know, by the political machine. But he understands it. He understands the situation as it is. Leverage. It's all about leverage. Who blinks first? The, the Democratic Party as it presently exists, certainly not your, the Democratic Party of your father or, or, you know, certainly grandparents. It's, it's certainly become radicalized. Uh, is this about this fight over the, the border wall? And, and we have a, a, a huge, you know, portion of the Democratic base now, these young, uh, radicalized progressives who 
who conflate terms like undocumented worker with immigrant or illegal alien, mm-hmm. same thing as an immigrant. Uh, you had the mayor of New York now announce that anyone who comes to New York City should be entitled to free health care, even if they're, a, well, he calls them undocumented workers. Uh, I mean, is this where the United States is heading? You've got a choice between what I see as sort of do-nothing, you know, Republican cowards on the one hand who won't stand up for anything, and then you've got this tremendously radical, radicalized Democratic Party. Uh, I mean, that's not looking good for the future. No, here's a news. Here's a news flash for you, Richard. We don't really have two political parties. We have one party posing as two, and it's just a matter of who is going to pay the most loyalties to their base. Look at look at some of the, the people who have raised money. Uh, this guy, uh, what's his name, Beto uh, Beto uh, O'Rourke. Oh, Beto O'Rourke. Yes, Beto O'Rourke. Yes. Beto O'Rourke. He raised. He raised more money than the economy of most states. The general, I mean, where do you get this money from? Where do you get the money from? Very simple. The people who are in control see the Ocasio's and him, you know, as the future of the Democratic Party. And, you know, to push the agenda further and further left until there's no choices. And they want to get, look, they want to get Schumer out of there. They want to get Pelosi out of there. They're the old guard. They're fighting tooth and nail just to, just to stay put. Uh, the newer people are coming in with this free everything, even even... Even de Blasio from New York, the same thing, free health. You know, somebody asked the question of how are you going to pay for this? Very simple. The average person is going to have an 80% tax rate. That's how you're going to pay for it. Oh, I'm sorry, you're 21% right now. Well, it'll be 81%, but all the undocumented, the people are going to be good for our economy. They're going to get it for nothing. But you can't, by the way, because you're an American. You know, you have to follow the rules. See, sooner or later, it's going to hit the fan. It happened in Paris. You saw what happened with the, the yellow jackets. I mean, sooner or later, people look at it and say, no, wait a second, this makes no sense. And they're going to rebel. I hate to see that happen because bloodshed follows. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't hurt enough yet. It doesn't hurt enough yet. And uh, so the elites in both sides, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, want open borders because the Republicans, you know, they representing uh, big corporate interests, they want cheap labor, which they get with undocumented workers. The Democrats, that seems to me to be the only way they're going to grow their base uh, is undocumented workers. So both sides really want open borders. And that's why that's why the last four presidents who have who have been on record as as going to the mat for better uh, immigration policies are now fighting to get rid of ICE because if Trump has brought them closer and closer to a reality that they're going to have to face. You can't have it both ways. And they want it both ways. They, they, they could care less. The, um, let me put it this way. The act of 1871 destroyed that whole concept of the American exceptionalism. It's being run by corporate elites, and I don't want to get into that right now. It's a whole other story. But those people care less whether they live in Belgium or they live in the United States. They don't care. They're just looking at bottom line and, and what, what's controlling it. So if they get both parties to do the same thing by talking through their both sides of their mouth, that keeps the American people busy. Oh, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. You know, and you can go to hell and you can, you know, keep us fighting. Well, you know, that's what I meant by that. If you read the article about the three-card Monty, that's what I meant by that. The three-card Monty was a way of fooling everybody while the dealer wins every time. 
Right. And that's what's happening. That's exactly what's going on. The shills in the three-card Monty scheme are basically the politicians. They're coming in, they're letting the, the, the media, you know, get in there and, and, and rile everybody up, you know, while the business of hand takes place without us realizing it. And then we go and we vote. And, uh, you know, whoever comes up, they could care less. They could care less who wins, you know, the elites. The, the bottom line is that, uh, oh, well, you know, well, right now Trump is taking apart the elites. And they know because he is an elite. Let's face it. I mean, the man has been all over the world. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's facing. They don't want to hear that. They don't want him anywhere near the button, so to speak. It, so it, that's what this is about. Right. Uh, it, it seems to me um, that we are on the verge, if we're not already in one, a non-shooting civil war. What are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. Like I said, it can be done through guns. Um, but, you know, with <laughs> understand that, you know, the Second Amendment does protect us, you know, with gun violence. But the bottom line is there are more guns than people um, out there. And, you know, trying to take away guns is going to be a, a useless effort. It's just going to create more violence. So, you know, that's not going to happen. But, um, uh, oops, I'm, I'm sorry. I lost the train of thought here. Can well, I was just saying that, that, that we're, we're in the, on the verge, if we're not already in the midst of, a non-shooting civil war yes. I'm t- in yes. terms of, you know, the progressives yes. versus conservatives. Yes. Yeah, because it can be done that way. And again, that goes back to the words have meaning. You can fool people. You know, it used to be you can fool people some of the time, but can't fool people all the time. Well, guess what? You can fool anybody anytime. Right now, all you got to do is just change the algorithm, you know, on their internet thing, and it's done. Go on to anything. Go on to any internet search you want to go through, and it's all leaning in one direction. The corporate elites set the stage, and everybody else has it. How long did it take before undocumented, uh, you know, uh, not on the, what do you call it, the, um, the fake uh, immigration thing? They, they had one word that came out. Within one day, every news station across America used exactly the same word. You know, that doesn't happen by chance. Somebody's pulling the strings. So you don't need guns anymore. All you need is, the, is, is economic failure. We need borders, language, and culture. That defines a country. Right here in America, and, in, and right here in Florida, you'll see signs, you know, English spoken here. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, really. You know, and, you know, in, in borders, well, you're seeing what's going on with the borders. And culture? Well, everybody has to be treated equally. Yeah, and I, I have no problem with that. I mean, that's how it was when my grandparents came here. It was, you know, Irish and Italians and the Jews. I get that. But they all found their way. They weren't dependent, you know, on government handouts. They weren't dependent, you know, on special interests. They weren't dependent on, on things coming across the border. They weren't, you know, dependent on, on pharmaceuticals that are coming in from all over the place, you know, and, and 60,000 deaths per month. Uh, more than Vietnam, you know, because of what's going on in, in, in the pharmaceutical market. I mean, nobody's paying attention to the real efforts here. It's just hide it behind it, get better wages, you know, work for McDonald's cheaper and buy stuff in China. I mean, it, it's so simplistic. It, it, it's almost sickening to the person who has any kind of intelligence at all. Uh, it, it's a sickening thought. So in this titanic struggle, and maybe we're in the fourth quarter, I don't know, but this titanic sure. struggle between the globalists and those who believe in the nation state. Uh, I mean, is the tide turning? Do you, are you encouraged, for example, by what's happening in Europe with the rise of some of these populist governments? Who's winning? Good question. Very good question. Um, I had the opportunity of traveling through Europe last year, 
and I got to, to see through Slovenia and and, and, and Italy and, and and parts of parts of the the globe that are going through some turmoil, and I found that their people there, um, the taxi cab driver, the the average person trying to eke out a living, knows full well what's going on and warned us, warned me personally. He says, "You are damn lucky to be in America because you can do something. Still, we can't. We're stuck. You know, we have the thing going." So. It's 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 going to be America. Look, let's put it this way: democracies in its raw state, no democracy ever lasted more than two hundred years. Whether you call it a representative republic or a democracy, the concept of a, of a free society depends on on people taking on the responsibility generation after generation, and that's not happening because each generation coming is becoming more dependent, you know, on the man rather than themselves. So you're losing that whole concept of uh, you know being self-sufficient, and eventually they're going to say, "Look, just just give me what I need, and I'll be your worker." You know, and, and they give up. So as far as the war is concerned, I, I think it's already lost. We just don't know it yet. I mean, 237 years uh, that this country has been in existence, and I, I think there's a big facade going on. I don't want to be a, a pessimist about it, but unless something changes, unless there's about a half a dozen more Trumps out there ready to to, to put it on the line. Uh, this is just going to be pushing it down the road a little bit. Uh, Sal, how do people get a copy of Declaration of Dependence, the betrayal of the American dream? Yeah, two things. Um, the Declaration was, uh, of Dependence was originally a self-published book. Uh, it was on Amazon, and it's still on Amazon, I believe, um, that can be gotten. But I'm, I've republished the book because it ended right about the time where Trump came into power. And um, that's where all of that stuff ended. But I've rewritten, I'm going to make four books out of it. Um, it's going to be Declaration of Dependence 1, which is already out there. It's called Media uh, and the Government. Part 2 is going to be the, uh, the UN, you know, the United Nations, Agenda 21, and the, and the healthcare system, Book 3. And the reason why I'm doing that is, again, because what is my target audience? My target audience are the people, you know, the, the, the dreamers, the, 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 not the dreamers, the, uh, um, the generation gap, the, 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 G, the Gen X, you know, the millennials right. who think in sound bites. They're not going to take the book and read it because once they get past the first few pages, they're going to put it down. So it has to be short, sweet, and that's what I'm doing. But uh, right now, Amazon is your best bet to do it. It's being republished. Uh, the Boys of Brooklyn is on Amazon as well. Great read, which comes around the back door. A lot of the stuff we're discussing right now is hidden in the pages of that book. Um, you know, what, what do you the, mean by the subtitle uh, in your new one, uh, Boys of Brooklyn, A Time When Life Never Sucked? <laughs> I love that subtitle. What does you that know, mean? I, it, 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 it hit me one, you know, I watched, well, how do you tell a story? You know, how do you tell a, a, a story that's worth, you know, a playwright material, you know, a story that can be actually be shown on, on and, and, and everybody sees? Well, during that period of time, we took care of ourselves. The boys of the, the generation, the baby boomer generation, were the product of our greatest generation, so to speak. We had no choice. They didn't have any money. We, we found our way of making things work, and it was consistent with American dreams. Life never sucked. We, hadn't, we didn't have any bad days. We just made them good, you know, and that's what it was. And it just dawned on me one day when I was playing with the title, and I said, you know, guys, there's four of us. There are actually four of us written about the book. It's, it's our lives going through that thing. We had a meeting, and we met one time and I just said, you know, we were damn lucky. Life never sucked during that period of time. You notice that? And that stuck. And that's how it, that's how it stayed. The publisher loved it. Uh, loved the title because it's a little bit different. 
Um, but that's basically what it was. It, it was the kind of thing where you didn't have to worry about things. You just made the corrections yourself. Do you think we can get back to those days? No, not unless a major shift takes place. Um, I, I, the, that generation is my generation right now, and I'm telling you right now, it's a waiting game. They're waiting for us to die off. We're the ones that put Trump there. Uh, we're the ones that understand the concepts. Uh, we don't really give a crap about Facebook, you know, and you're seeing the, the fallback on all that stuff. But uh, all of those things will die with us. And once that happens, the corporate elites, you know, they just keep changing faces. They never grow away. It's just a different face takes over. So eventually that'll happen. And guess what? You'll have another revolution. You'll have another uh, flare up someplace and a new country will form somewhere with the same concepts. It's been done three times already. Um, it's not the first rodeo for democracy. And uh, that's just the way it's going to be, in my opinion. And I hate to say that because that's being very pessimistic. But uh, my optimism sinks as I watch the newer generation not get it. Well, there is there is a glimmer of hope, and that is uh, that you always have in any generation, and now we're talking about the millennials, a portion that sort of get fed up with what's going on. They buck the trend. They're they're the rebels, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, back in the the fifties, they had you had the greasers and you had the teddy boys and so forth. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. we'll have a, a, a generation of or, or a cohort of these millennials break off. Who, who will find that conser- conservatism and self-reliance can be cool and they'll make it cool and maybe and maybe that will cause a wholesale change in the culture. That's that's well I did I did one step better than that and, and I'm, I understand exactly what you're saying and I'm hoping that's the case. but in the back of the book of Declaration of Dependence, uh, I also wrote ways of getting the country back. It's not just pessimism, pessimism. I was talking about what does it all mean? You know, how do you how do you change things in the epilogue? I gave, you know, 12 or 13 different things that we can take this country back very easily. All you have to do is do certain things that we were doing all along. Um, I got I'm looking at it right now. There are there are 12 things that I wrote there. All of them are strategies that can be done with today's economy. Um, you just need to have the people that are strong enough to actually do it. So there are solutions. It's a question of will they follow it? All right. Well, people can uh, get a hold of Declaration of Dependence, The Betrayal of the American Dream uh, at Amazon. Sal, great yeah, meeting you. Sal Martin, you can go to salmartingano.com. Uh, it's my website. On, right there, you'll see all the stuff on it. So buy the books and we'll go right to Amazon, right to the book site. So you can look it over yourself. Salmartingano.com. All right, Sal, yeah. great meeting you. I hope we can talk again. Richard, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. All the best. Sal is a real keeper. I'll have to have him back soon. I love straight talkers from New York. Salt of the earth. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. This segment, sponsored by The Horrible Movie Podcast, available at iTunes and thehorriblemoviepodcast.com. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, rock journalist and ACDC biographer Susan Massino talks about her brushes with the paranormal and amazing synchronicities. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind.
That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>